Um, yeah, for those looking in the church Bibles, uh, Isaiah 58 is on page 707, might be opening. Um, so if you could turn there, I'll race you there. Let me read Isaiah 58. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgressions, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your lips, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour, out your, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. 
Um, we're also going to read from Romans, Romans chapter 8. So if you guys have your Bibles there still open, um, maybe save that spot with the little bindy things, but flick over to page 1137. 1137. And we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. reading from verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Glad that you knew what was happening more than me, as is probably most of the way with Rash. Good morning, everyone. My name's Josh, one of the pastors here. Great to see you. Well, uh, sometimes, sometimes you read a passage and as you're going through it, the words just hit you, right? It kind of cuts you deep or it fixes your eyes on the beauty of heaven. It just speaks into an obvious need. It's clearly hugely relevant. And as you read it, you can just see the places in your life where you need to see it lived out. I expect you weren't feeling that as we read Isaiah 58. Is that how you felt? It's, uh, as Andy said, it's a 2,700-year-old ancient text that talks about a slightly obscure topic in this chapter, fasting, that not many people practice unless you're super into dieting. And even if you are, it's kind of talking about something a bit different anyway. Why are we looking at Isaiah 58? Why are we spending the whole week on that? What I'll say, actually, this is a passage that matters hugely and is extremely relevant. See, it's a passage about a group of people who are engaging in spiritual activities, spiritual things, in order to be in touch with the spiritual realm and, and live the spiritual life. They're trying to connect with God, who is spirit, and receive his blessings. So you could say it's really a passage about spirituality, people trying to live out the spiritual life, which I think is massively relevant for today. Uh, See, people are increasingly spiritual. Less and less people would say that they're religious, but 
more and more people would say that they're spiritual. That might be you. But what is true spirituality? Is there such a thing? Is all spirituality good, whatever you do, as long as it kind of works for you? Well, in this passage, we have a word from the living God, the one who is spirit, and he's going to speak directly to us about spirituality. How extraordinary is that? And what we'll see is that not all spirituality is good spirituality. In fact, there's such a thing as true and authentic spirituality, and there's such a thing as false spirituality. You can get it wrong, so God says. So I want to say it's worth seeing what God has to say on this. But that might not be you. You might be someone who considers themselves part of the people of God. And if that's you, you also will care deeply about spirituality because you want to relate to and be connected to our spiritual God. And in Isaiah 58, God is particularly talking to his people about their spiritual practices and activities. Uh, and I know that this might sound a little bit like a, a BuzzFeed headline, but it is genuinely shocking what he's got to say. I don't want to give away too much right at the start. We'll get into it in the text in a second. This is a passage about spirituality, about true spirituality, and it's got a lot to say to us today. So let's see what God has to say. If you're a note keeper at point one, false spirituality. Have a look down at verse one. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. This is God telling Isaiah the prophet, go and find the loudest thing you can get, set up Woodstock 2.0, get everyone's attention, and then when you've got it, I want you to yell out to the crowd, my people are massive sinners. They are completely rebellious against me. He doesn't say, have a gentle word of private rebuke, kind of make them feel okay about it. It is loud, public, and confronting. A heavy start. So what are these people like? What have they done that's got the Lord so riled up that he wants to blast them from the rooftops? Have a look at verse 2. They seek me daily and delight to know my ways. Skip to the end of the verse. You see, they ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. This is a people who seek God. They, they want to know his ways. They want to draw near to him. They want to connect with him. Verse 3, we learn that they're into spiritual activities, spiritual disciplines. In this case, he's talking about fasting. Uh, fasting, which is to literally afflict yourself by not eating food. I want to say that these two verses being next to each other is absolutely terrifying. That you can look so good and yet be called out by God as completely sinful. It means that it's possible to be a person who looks very spiritual, who's into spiritual activities, spiritual disciplines, who seeks God, who wants to come close to God, who thinks that you're near to Him and right with Him, but the reality is for God to declare that you are very far from those things, that you're actually in rebellion against Him and that your spirituality is completely false and meaningless. That is a terrifying reality. It's actually very similar to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. I've got it up on the screen. This is Matthew 7, 22. Jesus says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare, I never knew you. Depart from me. Jesus is talking about the final day where we come and stand before God and there'll be people who say, Jesus, we did all these things in your name. 
By the power of the Spirit, we were incredibly spiritual. And Jesus will say to them, it makes no difference. I don't know you. There'll be lots of people in churches who are doing spiritual things, who think they're okay before God, and they won't be. That is terrifying. Because it could be me. It could be you. If you can imagine standing before the holy God of the universe on the final day, having lived your life thinking you're okay with him, and then find yourself cast into hell, there is nothing more terrifying. And so what is wrong with what Israel are doing? What has got God so riled up? Back in Isaiah verse 3, have a look. We see verse 3, the heart of their false spirituality. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. These people are engaging in spiritual, uh, outward spiritual activity. They look good, but they're doing it for their own pleasure, for their own benefit. They're fasting in, in order to try and get God's blessings, that he would answer their prayers, that he would be close to them. And in doing so, they actually end up oppressing and failing to love others. No matter the outward things they do, their spirituality is false and condemned by God because of their heart, that they seek their own pleasure and benefit. I love that our church is full of spiritual people, people who want to live the spirit-filled life, who want to be connected to and in relationship with God who is spirit. But there's a clear danger here, isn't there? Do we express a form of spirituality that looks good, but is actually about pleasing ourselves and bringing ourselves benefit? I reckon there's two kinds of categories where we can be in danger of doing it. Uh, the first is, like Israel, we can do spiritual activities for our benefit to try and get things from God. You never say it like that, uh, but you can tell that's kind of like you if you either think that you deserve certain things from God or when you think that you don't deserve certain things from God because you've been pretty good for Him. Uh, for example, you might think, God, why haven't you answered my prayer? I've been faithful. I've gone to church for ages. I, I read my Bible. I say my prayers, but you are not answering this prayer. Why? I've done something for you, and now it's your turn to do something for me. Or maybe you've thought this before. God, why do I have this sickness? Why am I struggling financially? Why are my relationships falling apart? I don't deserve it. After everything I've done for you, how could you give me that? I deserve more from you. It can be easy to fall into the danger where we pursue spiritual activities for our own pleasure, for our own benefit, to try to get things from God. We, we think we deserve it. The second way I reckon we do this is we pursue spiritual activities for our own pleasure and benefit so that others will praise us and think greatly of us, how spiritual we are, how fantastic we are. Again, you never say it like that, but uh, you can tell this is a bit of a danger for you if you are much more or maybe only interested in serving in kind of the high-profile positions in church, things where you'll be seen, where people will know you, where people will be convinced that you are very, very spiritual and godly. But it's hard to get you to put your hand up to set up chairs or to talk to the person who looks a bit lost and like they don't know anyone or 
to pray for Rod and Andy and the ministry and mission of church regularly. No one will know if you've done that. Or to give away lots of your money. Well, no one will know if you've ever done it. You can also tell if, you're, if there's kind of a different you between you at church and you at home. At church, you are lovely and full of kind words. People think that you're great. But you regularly speak in harsh words to your kids or to your spouse or at your family. Or you're very different on Friday and Saturday night compared to Sunday. Uh, if Rod was invited out wherever you were on the weekend, uh, would things have been any different? All of these things are ways that we work for our own benefit, our own pleasure, either to get something from God or from others. And this is exactly the kind of thing that Jesus called out the religious leaders for in his day. They made a show of how uncomfortable they were when they fasted and when they did spiritual things. So people would be very, very impressed by the lengths they went to to be spiritual. But Jesus saw straight through them, didn't he? And he sees straight through us. God wants to get our attention and, and yell from the rooftops that this is sinful. This is not the spiritual life that I desire. So what is true spirituality? What does God have to say? The key is that it's not about pleasing ourselves. It's about pleasing God. It's not about pleasing ourselves. It's about pleasing God. And so what is it that pleases him? Have a look at verse 6. We're at point two, true spirituality, verse six. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the straps of the yoke? To let the oppressed go free? To break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? The fast that pleases God isn't about lying around, getting caught up in your own misery and hoping that God will bless you through your spiritual activity. He says that the kind of fast I desire is to be involved in serving others, acting to see justice done, the oppressed freed, the hungry fed and the poor cared for. God desires a fast that's all about loving others. Which is great, but it's also kind of weird. Right? The kind of fasting God wants has nothing to do with not eating food. What's going on? Well, remember what fasting really is about. It literally just means to afflict yourself. And God says, instead of giving up food and focusing in on yourself, it is much better to afflict yourself by loving others in a costly way. Give up your convenience. Give up pursuing your own interests and comforts. Give up your time, your money, your effort, and love people. And when you start to think about it, there's so much stuff you can do. I'm kind of very hesitant to give you a list of things that I don't want to restrict you. God wants you to grow a love for others, consider your resources of time, money and skills and go out and love people. If you've got people around who need food, you could uh, give to the Partners Relief Fund at church if we used to help people in our church and community. Uh, you could sponsor a child through the Compassion Organisation to give basic needs to children in need all around the world. There's a million things you could do. True spirituality is one that seeks to please God by loving others. Do you have a heart for loving others? Now, this is very different to what Israel were doing. 
and it's very different to what lots of spiritual people or books on spirituality would say today. Uh, lots of those kinds of things would say, go away somewhere by yourself, think, think deeply about yourself. You have to go internal deeply to be spiritual. But God says, go outside of yourself. Please me by thinking about others. Go out of your way to love others, even when it costs you. It's a great and a beautiful picture, isn't it? Fantastic. But how can you possibly actually live this way? Point three. See, the problem is that Israel didn't love God or others. After centuries of being God's people and trying to live for him, we've learned that all they did is fail and sin. The entire reason that the book of Isaiah was written is because Israel was so hopeless at doing these things. God needed to judge them. They couldn't please God. And we are in exactly the same situation. None of us love God or others perfectly. And so is this just a call to be better, to try harder to please God and maybe you'll get there one day? I don't think so. I reckon the best case scenario is that we can do some of those things some of the time, but never perfectly and never consistently without stuffing it up. So what do we do? Well, God knows this problem. He's not oblivious to it. He rightly calls out our sin, but he doesn't leave us to fix a problem we can't fix. Uh, if you skip two books of the Bible, you get Ezekiel. He's a, he's a prophet who's around just after Isaiah. And God makes some groundbreaking promises through him that shows us or kind of foreshadows how God is going to deal with this problem. So have a look. I've got it on the screen. Ezekiel 36 uh, from verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my laws. God recognises that naturally we are unclean we have these hearts of stone that are unable to listen to or love god on our own we cannot live the truly spiritual life that god desires it's impossible but the promise is that god will put his very own spirit in us that he will do the work to change our hearts so that we can listen to him and do what pleases him it's one of the most extraordinary promises in the bible when we get to the New Testament, we see passages like Romans 8, where this passage gets fulfilled, or this promise gets fulfilled. Now, this time I want you to turn to Romans 8. I haven't put it on the screen, so we all turn there. And I've got my Bible up, so I'll do that and race you there. Romans 8, you've got the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts, and then Romans. Romans chapter 8, I should have said keep a finger in Isaiah, but you can find that when we get back. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 8 says this, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's reiterating that naturally we can't please God on our own. We can't naturally live out true spirituality. But verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. It's possible to be someone who's changed, 
to have God's Spirit in you. Ezekiel 36, to be fulfilled in you. But it says, if, if that's you, who's the you? How do you receive God's Spirit? Track back up to verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You can receive no punishment for a life lived that's all about pleasing yourself and not God. You can have the life of the Spirit and be set free in Christ Jesus, did you see? To enjoy the promises of the Old Testament, to be truly spiritual and receive the Spirit of God Himself, you need to be in Christ Jesus. What's that? To be in Christ is to be united to Him by trusting in Him, by having faith to take hold of the promises of God. Where you can receive the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection for you. Forgiveness of sin so you're not condemned to eternal death. You can receive the Spirit who gives you new life so you can live in a way that now pleases God. This is the heart of true spirituality. And there's two things, at least, two key things that come out of this. One, and this is key, true spirituality is, a, is living a life of love and serving the needy as the fruit of your Christian life, not the root. I'll say it again. If you're a note taker, this is the note to take down. True spirituality is living a life of love and serving the needy as the fruit of your Christian life, not the root. The root of true spirituality is Christ's merit through his death and resurrection, that by trusting him, you can receive forgiveness and have his righteousness so that when you stand before God on the final day, you can be saved by what Jesus has done, not by your works. Isaiah 58 is impossible to achieve. You can't spiritually live well enough on your own. We are sinners who need forgiveness. We need to trust Jesus. But having been rooted in Christ and then given God's Spirit, the fruit of that is that now, by the power of the Spirit, you'll seek to live differently, to love and to serve with the heart of God. Not because it saved me, but because I have been saved and that changes me in every way. And so now I can go out and love people well. I'm empowered by God to do that. True spirituality is living a life of love and serving the needy as the fruit of the Christian life, not the root. Which then leads to the second thing, that in light of Jesus, love now has a new dimension. Loving someone by giving them food will help them live another day, and we absolutely must do that. But now, after Jesus, or in Jesus, there's an even greater act that can be done to love the poor and hungry which is to feed them with the bread of life that will give them life forever while we care for their spiritual needs. The most loving thing you can give someone is the good news of Jesus because it means they can live forever. What this also means is that the definition of the poor, of the poor and the hungry is widened. We saw last week that the whole world is hungry and thirsty for relationship with God. We all lack the thing we truly need. We all 
need the good news of Jesus because we are all spiritually poor, even for those of us who are physically rich. Giving the good news of Jesus is the greatest act of love because it's what we need the most. But if you do it without caring for physical needs at all, you are lacking in love. See, when you get this, it explodes what true spirituality is. So how are you involved in this great act of love? Are you involved in it? You can be involved in a whole bunch of ways. You can be involved in formal ways at church. If you want to get involved, write something on your Connect card. Which I think we've got Connect cards again this week. We're going to do that in a minute. Write something down. We'd love to get in touch with you. You can be involved in informal ways at church, encouraging each other with the good news of Jesus after church, chatting about the sermon, asking how your life is going, asking people how their faith is going. You can share the good news with your friends and family so that they might enjoy life forever. How will you be involved in this great act of love? True spirituality is living a life of love, which is now exploded, and serving the needy, which is now everyone, as the fruit of your Christian life, not the root. Which brings us to point four, the last section back in Isaiah 58. You've got to flick back there. Flick back Isaiah 58. Oh, my Bible's been open on it all week, so let's flick back there just quickly. But if you've got about halfway on your Bible, Isaiah's about halfway. If you've hit the Psalms, you're a little bit early, you want to go further. Isaiah 58, I'll give you a second. We're in verse 13. We see this amazing paradox. Verse 13, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honourable, if you honour it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. God has moved from talking about fasting to keeping the Sabbath, but Really, he's talking about the same principle, but he's applying it to a different spiritual activity. He says, if you stop seeking your own pleasure in doing these spiritual activities, whatever they are, if you seek to please God in them, then you shall take delight in the Lord. What an amazing paradox. If you make your own pleasure, if you make your own benefit, your own delight, your aim, you'll never get it. You'll have an empty spirituality and God will judge you on the last day. But when you give up your desires and seek to please God and others, then you will find true delight. Isn't that amazing? And it'll be delight in the Lord. Lasting, satisfying, life-giving. So what is true spirituality? Is there such a thing? Is all spirituality good, whatever you do, as long as it works for you? Well, how do you know if you're someone who thinks that they're truly spiritual and right with God, but aren't, like we've seen in Isaiah 58, or if you actually are? True spirituality is living a life of love and serving the needy as the root of your Christian, as the fruit of your Christian life, not the root. Have you put your trust in Jesus as the root of your faith, as the root of your spirituality? Have you received his forgiveness? Have you received God's spirit? If you have, are you living out the fruit of your trust? By loving others with the heart of God, even when it costs you. 
What would it look like for you to go out and do that this week? Because that is the life that pleases God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you know us. You know us deeply. We are sorry that we are all wrapped up in sin, that our desire is for ourselves, that even in the things we do that can be seen for you on the outside, that we often just want to do things for ourselves. Father, thank you so much that even though we are wretched sinners, that you don't leave us in the dark, you don't leave us in our sin, that you have given us a solution to the problem of sin in Jesus. Thank you that we can have forgiveness. Thank you that we can have righteousness. And thank you that we can even have your very spirit in us through Jesus. Lord, thank you that in that you empower us to live a life that can please you, that we can enjoy relationship with you. We pray you would help us to be involved in this work of loving others physically and even more spiritually. We pray you would catch us up and set us a vision for this beautiful future that you would help us to be a part of. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.